Welcome to Interchange. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. Interchange was founded inside of Bond, the embedded finance company. This podcast is a place for conversation, questioning, and open learning about the future of embedded finance. Our guest this week is Jack Alton, CEO at NeuroID. NeuroID is on a mission to unlock the world's behavioral data. Their friction index platform locates, measures, and monitors fraud and friction in every customer journey at scale without exposing any personal identifying information. We cover Jack's background, scaling new technologies, what NeuroID is and why it exists, and lastly, what behavioral data could mean to the future of financial services and even embedded finance. I hope you enjoy our interchange. Let's back up a little bit and just give folks the the Jack story a little bit and kind of what got you into, into this wild world of finance and wild world of fintech. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, currently sitting as the CEO of, of NeuroID, which is this disruptive behavioral analytics company, and we're having just an absolute blast bringing it to market. Um, you know, we're call it four and a half years into our journey. I've really found our product market fit and um, it's really solving some very fundamental needs on removing friction and, and, and also fraud from the online experience. So that's been a lot of fun. But uh, prior to that, you know, I grew up in Montana. I'm a fifth generation Montanan um, living uh, back home in Montana, raising our kids after, after living in Austin uh, for about 13 years. So got exposed to technology down there at an early age, right out of college was selling cell phones uh, before they were a thing. And uh, just a dynamic growth industry. You got to work for, you know, a phenomenal organization, Macaw Cellular, and went through several different cellular companies as we brought new technologies to market. Um, one of the most interesting stops in Austin uh, was with a company called Wayport, which was uh, the company that invented Wi-Fi. So got to work for the company that invented cellular, Macaw, and then got to uh, work for the company that invented Wi-Fi. That's a company called Wayport, and um, ran the sales and go-to-market org there to build that into a company. Uh, we had installed Wi-Fi hotspots in hotels, airports, McDonald's, uh, nationwide. Ultimately sold that to AT&T, and it's still a, a business unit of AT&T. It's called AT&T Wi-Fi Services, and some of my friends are still still working there to this date. It's been a, a really successful acquisition for the company. Moved back home to Montana about 12 years ago and uh, worked for a couple of different uh, technology companies out of here. Really became very interested in software um, and the fact that software didn't know where it lived and, and you mm. could live, work and play where you wanted here in Whitefish, Montana. And that's what we've been focused on uh, for the last call it, 10 years up here is uh, taking some of that original team from Austin and deploying them on uh, new and exciting opportunities. And, and NeuroID is the biggest one we've ever worked on together. Listening to you talk, there's a little bit of a trend here where people invent things and then they call Jack after they invent the thing. <laughs> and maybe I'm oversimplifying. Maybe that's a little too straightforward, but it, you know, it kind of seems that way. Maybe it's a little more roundabout, but it seems like a, a groundbreaking technology gets invented. Jack joins the team, gross sales like crazy, acquisition happens. Jack goes back and goes fitching. So it doesn't sound like a horrible, you know, wash, rinse, repeat situation, but 
specific to NeuroID, and you kind of hinted at it a little bit, how did you get involved with that team? The technology was coming out of Stanford, right? So it wasn't necessarily like something that's been in the back of your head that you built. It was kind of separate, and then they brought you in, right? Yeah, so uh, definitely big hat tip to the founders of all those companies that are smart enough and brave enough to take an idea and a concept and go at least prove it out. Um, in this case, uh, it was two two gentlemen, Joe Valisich and Jeff Jenkins, literally pioneers in this field of human-computer interaction, over 30,000 Google Scholar citations for their work uh, in this field. Um, it was actually a tech launch initiative out of the University of Arizona. Um, they had modeled it after what Stanford had done successfully. Gotcha. And University uh, Tech Launch Group there have been tremendous partners for us. And what they do is they, they take extraordinarily bright uh, research professors like Jeff and Joe. And instead of them working on it in a clandestine fashion, they say, hey, use all the, all the tools and resources you need. It makes the university better, makes us better. And we benefited from that tremendously uh, early on. They were able to get all the research uh, that they needed out of the way. Um, technology, uh, the company was founded in 2015, um, did some early market testing. And then I came in in 2017 and started to assemble the team. Uh, we began to fund the company and really worked on that product market fit. And that's kind of the recurring theme to your point on um, there's usually brilliant founders and then there's people that, uh, maybe aren't as smart that come in and, and help figure out the go to market, uh, to really allow that idea or that creation to come to life. And, um, this one was a lot of work uh, taking something as abstract as behavior and, um, turning it into a product and helping people understand how to use it, uh, definitely took all the, all the past, uh, you know, successes and, and schools of hard knocks, uh, things that we had learned and kind of pushed us to the edge. But probably in the last two years, I would say that the product market fit has really been established. And now, you know, we've sat behind over 200 million consumer onboarding journeys and our ability to, to see a genuine customer versus a fraudulent customer through their behavior is really, really good. And now being used by brands like Square and Intuit and Affirm and into other verticals as well. So it's an exciting time for us. Maybe you could walk, walk us through a use case. Maybe that would be the best next step. Because I think there's this, you know, we, we know a lot about ID verification in this world. We talk a lot about uh, just customer journeys. We talk a lot about the things that you're kind of hinting at, but I think NeuroID is a, is a 10X improvement on a lot of what we've seen so far. So maybe if you could just walk me through like a customer journey, what a user experiences as they're interacting with NeuroID, even though they, probably don't know it, I would imagine. They're just kind of going through an onboarding flow, but what's that look like? Yeah, I mean, just to connect dots from a, from an intuitive standpoint, if you and I were in person and we weren't on Zoom, oh, we can pick up some of these nonverbals and verbals on Zoom because we can see one another. But when we moved online and we went digital, that all went dark. Uh, and so we were only able to see and get the last answer that someone input on any type of an onboarding form, as an example. And what NeuroID does from a use case standpoint, uh, the first use case that we brought to market is how do we come in and solve this, this massive problem on, on digitally onboarding a new consumer, a new merchant, a new sole proprietor, a new business? Uh, because we're, we're getting it terribly wrong today. If you look at conversion rates today, um, they're single digit conversion rates. And 
part of the problem that we've found now 200 million journeys later is that the fraud and risk stack is so overtooled that we're not able to see our genuine customer. So what we do is we install our JavaScript. It sits behind all the fields, input fields, or on a site. And what we're looking at uh, without collecting any PII is the taps, types, and swipes of uh, people as they're onboarding. They're trying to do business with a company. And we help them separate uh, out the genuine customers from the fraudulent customers. And what happens when you can do that is, is pretty magical. You can then, for the first time, begin to remove friction at scale for your genuine customers. And you can apply friction to customers that are not interacting with their personal information in a way that is confident or reflects that it is their information. And that delineation right there is kind of the first breakthrough that's happened in a decade of trying to do, you know, this whole digital transformation thing is we have not literally been able to see our customer. And so it's almost been, you're guilty until proven innocent. You got to show me, you know, your, your verification, you have to upload documents, you have to take a picture of yourself. And all of these things are chipping away at the experience and really preventing brands from building a really starting a great relationship and building a great digital relationship. And, and that's where we're coming in and, and helping unlock that behavioral data and allow them to recognize their genuine customers and, and also see the ones that, that may be fraudulent. When you're talking to potential customers and new partners, do you focus more so on the fraud detection piece and like downside limitation, or do you focus more on that upside of the, the increased pull through? I put trying to put myself mm -hmm. in your, in your seat a little bit empathetically. I would have, I think I'd have a hard time figuring out what to start with. Like the technology does so much. I think I'd have a hard time picking one groundbreaking use case to lean into when you want to just throw the whole kitchen sink at them. Yeah. Yeah, when we think about productizing behavior, we look at it as your conversion solutions and your fraud solutions. And the beautiful thing about our technology is that one JavaScript integration gets you visibility into both. So if we're coming in through a chief risk officer, as an example, um, he or she has, I think, one of the most difficult jobs in the world. They're supposed to, without adding a lot of questions, without adding any friction, be able to magically tell the rest of the organization, if this person is high risk or low risk, um, what we do when we come in is help them see that um, you have all of your controls, you have all the fraud and risk tools that you probably need today. What you're missing is something like behavior to help you orchestrate the use of those better. So they don't want to send their best customers to high friction verification like KBA. They don't want to push away their best customers, but without the visibility that we provide, they have to default to keeping their fraud or chargeback rates low. So essentially what we do is for a risk officer, we come in and we turn them from somebody that may be inadvertently because of a lack of data or visibility, turning away genuine customers to turning them into a revenue engine. They're able to dial back those restrictions that have prevented a good experience for their genuine customers and also catch more fraud than they ever have before. And that's kind of the rinse and repeat uh, motion is that we're trying to flip fraud and risk on its head and say, hey, these chief risk officers can and are now sitting on some of the most valuable data that can be used by product, by marketing, and the other side of the organization as well. Yeah, I wouldn't think you'd get into it too much talking to chief risk officers, but it almost feels like this seismic shift from an uh, 
like into an abundance mindset almost like shifting from a mindset of scarcity and oh god we got to make sure that people don't get through our walls kind of a thing and you know kind of doing the heisman versus well this could actually help our business not just be something that could potentially kill it which feels like a a groundbreaking shift mentally it really is when you know when I have the opportunity to talk to CEOs, presidents, leaders that have P&L responsibility over the organization. Um, they have always wanted to figure out why is it that you know a hundred people come to our site or a thousand a day, and only ten percent or less actually book an insurance policy or mm-hmm. get a loan or or use my buy now pay later payment type. And they've known that there was some attrition and, and they, they realized that it's not just because people are bored. They're not starting a process just to abandon. Um, something's happening along the way. And, and what we've been able to ascertain with behavior is one of the biggest things that's happening is we're misidentifying our good customers. And that's low-hanging fruit, right? Think of, you look at the data that shows if someone has a poor brand experience online or in person, the likelihood that they'll ever come back is a next to none. And they'll also tell people about it. So um, being able to see your customers, being able to understand what is normal behavior for everybody that comes through our journey every day, what's abnormal behavior, where are we seeing gaps in experience? Where are we seeing gaps uh, uh, or potential fraud that's, that's starting to rear up? Um, that's something that real-time visibility at scale has been something that the market has missed. And um, that's that's what I think is helping us be disruptive, not just for the risk leaders, but to your point, it's it's creating an abundance opportunity where they can say, okay, finally now I can start to segment and see my genuine customers. And what we've found, Zach, is if we can identify points of, of friction like uh, bank login, like a, you know instant bank verification, um, powerful tool for fraud and risk, but sometimes comes at the cost of 30 to 40% uh, abandonment. We can actually fast track their genuine customers through that. And we're seeing doubles and triples in, in conversion without an increase in bad debt. So it's pretty intuitive that once you can see the customer's behaviors at scale, you can start to personalize that journey for the first time and, and really replicate the way we used to do business when we were standing in front of one another. Sounds like you've also probably acted as an accidental relationship counselor for a lot of chief risk officers and heads of, uh, <laughs> you know, heads of chief revenue officers or w- whatever, you know, title they have on the sales side or, you know, as a CEO or whatever. I, you know, being in this industry enough, you realize that the chief risk officer is often looked at as like this redheaded stepchild. And they obviously, they look at the rest of the organization like, hey, why are you making my job so hard? And it kind of feels like this might just smooth a lot of that out and decrease potentially some company infighting. We call it cross-departmental collaboration, but I think I like your analogy better. Um, yeah, it turns out that if if everyone can see the customer journey at scale, they can see subpopulations of, of people that are abandoning a process or people that are completing, if they can look at the people that resulted in fraud and go back and look at the behaviors that they exhibited, all of a sudden they have that ground level data that they need to start collaborating and saying, Hey, I didn't know that this question was causing friction for our good customers. I want to have questions that cause friction for our, you know, fraudulent customers. And yeah, we we have definitely seen um, not just initially, but an ongoing 
use of our data to be able to have uh, cross-departmental collaboration and that cooperation that really allows from the moment a customer hits the site to them uh, completing a successful journey. There are lots of different departmental heads that need to be on the same page. And we're for the first time giving that, that source of truth that allows them to really look at what were the behaviors of our customers so we can stop guessing and endlessly A-B testing and really get to the root cause of friction or get to the root cause of the behaviors that are leading to fraud. That's fascinating. You kind of hinted at it earlier and what you just said about uh, multiple portions of, of an organization working well together makes me wonder about the product implementation and the, the time that it takes to integrate and kind of what that technical lift is. Is it as simple as it sounds, that one line of JavaScript or a couple lines of JavaScript and you're off to the races? What, what, what kind of does that take? What's the usual time frame? What's the, what's the heaviest piece of that lift? Yeah, I mean, when we look at um, our mission, which is to unlock the world's behavioral data, um, we have to continually work on making the integration of our technology easier and easier. Um, we're on uh, JavaScript 4.0 now. Um, and we have customers, we actually have a demo video that shows that at least this literally can be uh, implemented in a minute or less um, on wow. a field. So it really has come a long way uh, to being able to just set that and, and now begin to unlock that behavioral data stream that's coming through every day. So um, that's, that's really when we look forward into 2022. Um, it's not going to be enough to just unlock the behavioral data of some of the biggest brands in the world across payments, merchant, lending, and uh, uh, insurance, but rather we want it to be self-serve. We want anybody that wants to throw this into a shopping cart, into an onboarding journey, and they want to measure their friction, and they want to look at the customer behavior. Um, that's going to be coming in 2022, and we're really excited about making access to unlocking the data really easy for everyone. That's fascinating. I would almost think that would increase the ability for like a bottoms up kind of sales cycle kind of a thing where you can have developers mm -hmm. pulling in the tool instead of the chief risk officer or whoever from on high dictating to them that they must. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that ship has sailed. We've seen that product led growth uh, across every industry is the wave of the future. And, you know, we have with our friction index dashboard, we've got one of the best hooks out there to be able to, to show someone their behavioral data. Um, we, we internally say, hey, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You can't go back to guessing at what the behaviors are. You, you, you now see them and you're connected with your customer in a way that you haven't been in the past. So um, that's a really exciting next step for the company. Very much so. I mean, listening to you talk, I'm kind of getting into my closing questions here. And what I was planning to ask you is who should be using NeuroID and who should be kind of signing up and experiencing that behavioral data. But after talking to you even more and listening even more, it sounds like the question really should be who shouldn't be using NeuroID. It sounds like a no brainer. It sounds like something that's easy and straightforward to sign up for and get access to data that you haven't had visibility into for a long time and improves business statistics and yada, yada, yada. Why would someone not sign up for it and who shouldn't be thinking about it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think everybody, when they look at digital transformation, they, they don't know where to start. They know that they need to make their processes more friendly they're trying to do it. It's not for lack of effort. Um, but we believe that unlocking your behavioral data is just a logical first step. And 
one of the things that's cool that we've seen in the past couple quarters is whether you're a traditional bank that has never moved online or whether you're somebody that was a digital first organization, um, installing our JavaScript and unlocking it gives you the confidence to be able to make those moves forward. So every organization has these bold moves they want to make uh, to digitally transform and to replicate the type of interactions we had when we were in person. And unlocking your behavioral data, we believe, is is probably one of the biggest steps that you can do. And and it's sitting, you know, there ready to go. So our JavaScript is now available on our website. Um, and it's something that we we uh, would love to you know offer to all of your users if they if they have any type of digital property we would love to be able to have them contact us we'll install the JavaScript um, I don't think we've ever had anybody install it and and uninstall it so it's a it's kind of a win 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 situation for us if we can unlock that that behavioral data. That makes me curious though about how you're thinking about the embedded finance space. Yeah, it's a great question, and and it's uh, it's a focus of the company now. You know, our first step was to unlock the behavioral data of some of the largest uh, enterprises in the world. The second step is to embed the technology into platforms, uh, marketplaces, areas where others can gain access to the technology. Um, you may have seen uh, that we did this at Alloy. Uh, they're a, a great partner of ours. Tommy and the team there have a phenomenal solution for the market and identity platform, adding behavior to it is a super valuable um, uh, additional tool for, for Alloy and the team. So um, yeah, on a going forward basis, you're going to see a lot more strategic announcements where we take the technology and embed it uh, into the embedded finance area. So every product that you see today, in our opinion, needs behavior. It adds fidelity to the product. It refreshes the product. And um, we're inactive conversations with quite a few folks that would love to come back on the show and tell you about when when those all get firmed up. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jack Alton, CEO at NeuroID. To learn more about NeuroID, dive into the show notes. I've left links to find Jack and the team on the interwebs. Interchange was founded inside a bond to benefit the developers, product owners, and executives at brands working inside the next generation of financial services. We hope that you're learning, enjoying, and maybe even laughing along. We love this world and we're passionate about every piece of it. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about, who you'd like to hear from, and what's getting you out of bed in the morning in this wild world of fintech in which we live. If you'd like to learn more about Bond, please reach out. You can get a hold of me at Zach at Bond.tech. Let's start a conversation. Check out the show notes and the Bond blog for a deeper dive if you're still listening and just can't get enough. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a rating in your favorite podcast app. Until our next interchange.